everyone, welcome back to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. As you saw in that sweet intro, uh, we talk about e-commerce insights, helping your business grow, and things that you can apply to your um, ever-evolving brand or business, whether it be on Amazon as a, a starter or beginner, or you're starting to grow internationally, or if you are just starting your uh, entrepreneurial journey, just want to know what this whole e-commerce thing is all about. This is the podcast for you. Um, if you're listening to us live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, thanks for tuning into another great episode. This is episode 232. Um, we're trucking right along in all these episode numbers, and I'm keeping them pretty straight. But if uh, this is the first time that you've ever tuned into my corner of the internet, welcome. Thanks for tuning in for a little bit of your time today. Time is valuable, and I want to make sure that this podcast is valuable to you as well. So if you have questions, you don't understand a topic, if you think we're going off the rails, rein us back in, go ahead and ask your questions on social media. Uh, in the comment section below, that's the best way. We see all that, believe it or not. Technology is fantastic. If you submit a question, we see that in real time. It's called texting or uh, just putting through information like a Slack or anything like of the sort. So if you see us live, we get to see all that beautiful uh, questions or just shouting out saying hi. We also appreciate that as well. So if you're tuning in, let us know where you're listening from. But also let us know if you have any specific questions for myself or our awesome guest today. We caught, catch us at your favorite audio version as well. We produce these and post these on all your favorite podcast destinations, Amazon, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe to those channels as well when we release the audio versions. Or, of course, you can go ahead and check out our presenting sponsor, Ping Pong Payments, and go to their website to check out all the video, audio, and all of the transcripts, uh, key takeaways, things like that, that we have of all of our guests. And we also provide links for resources, so how to get in touch with our guests. You can check that out at usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast. Not very difficult. Go ahead and check out the podcast page uh, there. It's pretty easy to find. Or you can follow me on social media, and I post all that stuff as well. Enough about me. It's about our guests. As I always say, I call them friends of the show. They have to get through a whole episode with me before I call them friends of the show. But we've been successful this far. And episode 232 is no exception. Just the creative and great people that come on this podcast that say yes is always astounding to me. And I always uh, get blown away by just the amount of information that they get to share with us today. Um, but like every episode, we try to keep it new, uh, unique and fresh in terms of what's going on in the world today, what people can learn from it, and to try not to repeat too many topics. That's why I'm excited about today. We're going to be talking about something unique uh, and that was presented to me, seven areas of e-commerce brands ignore until it's too late. Very ominous, very scary, but we're going to kind of like go behind the curtains if you all was talking pre-show, we were talking going behind the curtains and seeing what it takes for e-commerce brands to be successful. And you would think that this is not somebody that is just now learning this. This is someone who's been able to learn and be in the business and industry and kind of talk the talk and walk the walk at the same time. His name is Evan Paget. He is with Stealth Venture Labs. If you don't know what they are, uh, we have the link of the website below, but we're going to go ahead and just welcome to Crossover Commerce today, Evan Paget of Stealth Venture Labs. Evan, thanks for so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. Thank you for having me here. I appreciate yeah, it, Ryan. We're having a lot of fun pre-show, so I'm excited about this episode. A lot of people come on and bring certain sort of energy. You brought the most I've had in a long time, so I'm super jacked. I'm hype. I don't need the second cup of coffee right now. Well, I'm working through my first right now. So. <laughs> but you're on, uh, yeah, for people uh, for for people who don't know or where you're doing from, you're on the West Coast, correct? I am in Colorado, actually. Colorado, okay. So technically West Coast. West it's Coast like middle-ish West. Yeah, the beginning of Pacific. I'm on. I'm in Indiana, which is really far inward, but we're on East Coast time, which is really weird. It throws yeah, me off. it doesn't make sense. Geography not my strong suit. No, apparently. call me Central Time. If you go directly north or directly south, we're on Central Time. Doesn't make sense, but <laughs> it is what it is. Time is not even. Uh, it's a construct. Obviously, a construct. it's not real. Let's get into that right now. Exactly. Well, we'll we'll just talk about e-commerce. It's a construct, right? What is e-commerce <laughs> and, and things like that? But you 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 uh, before we get get started, your background is super fascinating. You've worked with, gosh, I'm going to pull up the list of brands you worked with. I mean, you you can pull these out for your out of your hat pretty quickly. Um, it goes way back. Oh my gosh! Years. Yeah, like I was going to say anniversary. In, I was going to say twenty years in the business. You you've been around with. Uh, you work for a parent company, uh, the parent company of MySpace, which is kind of fascinating. Uh, there's a lot yep. of things like Fabletics, Shoe Dazzle, Fab Kids, a lot of name brands that a lot of people, they perk their ears up and say, oh, that's awesome. How did you get to work with them? So 
I'll let you talk about it, uh, your background, because that's always the best way to do it. Where, How did you get started in e-commerce in that 20-year uh, background leading up to where we are today? You know, it all started as being a nerdy kid in the 90s. Um, just a life story, kick back and relax. Now, uh, it all started, um, I, I grew up in the age of the internet coming to be, right? I had a 2400 bond modem. I was uh, fascinated by the concept of the internet and computers. And as a teenager, I spent most of my time like freehand coding websites and stuff like that. Just like learning HTML back in the day. And that's when you had to open it in notepad and just write, right? Yep. Um, so the point there is that led me to uh, having a group of friends that, that all did that. One of them ended up dropping out of high school, which I don't necessarily recommend. I did not drop out of high school, but I didn't finish college. Um, and uh, he, he took a job in Southern California. Um, we were in uh, Oregon. We grew up in Oregon. And he, he was like, he knew I had a technical background. And I knew a lot about Excel and just like all these, all these things. He's like, hey, you want to like come down here and work? And it was like right after the dot-com boom, uh, you know, he was like, you want to come down here and work as like a junior analyst? I'm like, sure. Like, sounds, sounds great. great. Like, uh, I'll, I'll just move. And then we moved down and um, I was in this, I was in this office in uh, Southern California in the LA area. And it was a couple of different businesses. We had this product marketing company that was um, called uh, Intermix Media. And then we had this other part of the company which is called myspace um so myspace you might have being heard developed of huh you might have heard of it right might have, might have heard of it many people these days have it unfortunately but <laughs> you know we were we were doing product marketing over there and i was like doing things like running invoices around and analyzing data and it, this was like back when you had to buy advertising with an insertion order and talk to a salesperson at yahoo and at msn to like ink a deal um for advertising Faxing those uh, IOs and oh yeah, lots of faxing. Like, I, like in that 2002, it was all about faxing. Um, so we ended up, I, I, and then from there, I just sort of learned by osmosis. I got involved into like landing page testing and optimization, trying to find ways that people would interact with websites. And this was back in the day where like CPMs were fractions of a dollar, and you could just like sell anything on the internet. I sold Simpsons bottle openers, micro RC cars, and. Um, all sorts of skincare and beauty creams and everything online. Um, but I just kind of learned and I, I was hanging out with these guys and it was, a, it was an awesome company. And then 2005, Fox Interactive Media came in to buy MySpace, but they didn't care about this consumer packaged good division. They bought the whole company, but they're like, we don't, we don't care about your skin creams and Simpsons bottle openers, guys. Um, the same people jumped over. I went with them. Um, we started another company sort of in the skincare and, and, and health and wellness products. And then in 2009, we jumped into fashion. Um, and that's where Just Fab uh, came to become. Um, and then uh, we and we did that because we saw there's another competitor, Shoe Dazzle, doing some really awesome stuff. We're like, oh, yeah, we can we could do that. Like, that's a, that's a great business concept. Let's go for it. Um, so then we were like, we're going to beat these guys. We ended up eventually acquiring them. So we did win that race. Um, but then I just kind of grew up at that company. So I went, I did everything. I, I started as... Uh, at doing search engine um, uh, marketing, then jumped into landing page optimization, then became the sort of founder of analytics, just business intelligence there. So working on the very early days of BI back when big data was like not a thing yet, but we we developed and, and this company built everything. We didn't buy anything because there wasn't anything to buy in 2006, seven and eight. Great. Uh, so we built our own e-commerce platform. We did everything. So it kind of exposed me to so many things like learning about the back end of a warehouse management system, the back end of a you know content management system, um, and a testing platform, and and optimizing, and all this stuff. So I got exposed to all these things that we built, and from there I just kind of kept growing with the company. So we grew. That company's raised I don't know, half a half a billion dollars at this point. Like I don't even know. They've raised so much money and they, they've created so many successful brands. But I just kept growing within there and finding new spots. So it was analytics turned analytics into FP&A. FP&A with our CFO, then that turned into, okay, analytics is a shared service. So I'm running and overseeing that. And then they're like, hey, Evan, take on member service. I'm like, okay, sure. Customer service operation from 35 to like 700 people over the span of a few years. And they're like, Evan, take on customer acquisition as an executive and as a leader. Managing, at that time, we were managing about 100 and 120 million dollars a year globally in advertising. And I'm trying to like, I'm executive leading all of these things from like, the knowledge of like kind of a data foundation. So I was like, 
spent all my days just looking at dashboards and, and making decisions. So finally, obviously, they're like, Evan, you should run the Just Fat business because Adam Goldenberg, the CEO there, he moved on to being sort of the global CEO because we had uh, businesses in Europe and um, we were making more brands and every brand sort of had a GM that was the day-to-day CEO. And I sort of, I jumped into that role. It was amazing to manage that company. We acquired Chew Dazzle, sort of brought that all in. So I had a huge team, grew, grew, grew. And I'm like, holy moly, this is a crazy 15 years working with these guys. Um, I kind of want to see what else is out there. After two yeah. years of sort of that head job, kind of like really getting the feel of running a you know $300 million PL. I jumped, uh, I wanted to take a year off because I've just been like by 20s, my entire 20s gone. I'm, I'm halfway through my 30s at the time. Um, I was like, I want to see what else is out there. I wanted to take a year off. About a month into that year, someone was like, hey, you got to talk to these guys at Thrive Market. Um, Thrive Market, right. awesome company, great brand, great mission behind it. They needed a chief marketing officer. I was like, I don't know. I'm not really ready to jump back into something, but they were awesome. The team there is amazing. I jumped in. Did that job for about a year and a half. It was awesome. Great company, just amazing people. And they really live up to their mission. But honestly, it just wasn't for me because I had become such a, a business operator that just being a marketer while all, at an awesome company wasn't exactly what I was looking for long term. So uh, I, I waved them goodbye and then spent some time in LA, met my business partner here at Stealth, uh, who was doing some awesome things, creating a company that was already you know fully remote believed that they could break the paradigm of you can mark you can be you can have great people and a great mission and you know you can have work-life balance which is something i was desiring at the time i had two kids now i have three um so i was like okay yeah like let's partner up let's do this um and that was uh almost five years ago at this point and here we are today and and now um what i might what i'm doing now is basically running this company and we work with some of the best brands out there uh, as a as a marketing and growth agency focused on, I won't say focus on subscription commerce, but just kind of gravitates towards us. But we work with brands like HelloFresh and Lashify, Mudwater, and all these other pretty awesome um, subscription commerce brands. And that's that's what we're doing now. And, that, and I get to impart some of that you know sort of tribal knowledge of being there with internet marketing was was evolving and going through its puberty um, to to be able to to help our clients do better. I mean, there's, I mean, just reading through the website, obviously very impressive portfolio of what you guys are doing in terms of that. So you said, so you started it, you would consider yourself, you said, uh, growth partners and growth opportunity, uh, agencies yep. and, uh, focus mainly on subscriptions. That's what you guys do really well. I think a lot of people are, are, are trying to kind of go into that. So what, what made people kind of gravitate towards that? Because obviously there's there's influencer marketing, there's, you know, uh, conversion rate, there's advertising, there's all these different things. What made yeah. you guys, what made you stand out to all these companies that like, Hey, these guys get, you know, subscription based marketing, which is super important. In this yeah. So, you know, and, and I think that that's a easy answer that, which is, Hey, we, we've have a, a track record of success and we have a lot of exits in the meal at home space, but honestly, a lot of it's because Subscription commerce and, and really maybe broadly saying uh, recurring revenue models um, because subscription commerce doesn't have to be stuff in a box every month, right? It can right. be services. It could be uh, any kind, type of recurring revenue. Everybody, every business wants a steady state of recurring revenue. Um, mm-hmm. And it, recurring revenue makes your business predictable, makes your business stable. Um, and it, The accountant's it controls- best friend. Oh yeah, exactly. And then like it controls your cash flow. You you can you know when your money's coming in. E-commerce, traditional e-commerce, you know, you're you're hoping to get 1.5, maybe two purchases a year. You're you're blasting your email database, but you know, you you get your semi-annual sales, and that's when you get all your revenue or you get you, you know, you have your your holiday rush. But subscription commerce blends that out throughout the year. And then also subscription commerce, just like mathematically speaking. People that are on subscription have a higher LTV. You have a higher LTV. You're able to pay more to acquire the customer. Therefore, you're able to run well on advertising platforms like Facebook, Google, TikTok, et cetera. So um, it's kind of a recipe where the biggest advertisers that can really, that are direct to consumer and have to monetize their dollars and show, you know, I'm not talking about the people that spend millions of dollars a month on brand just to say like, hey, we're out there. We exist. The, the the major big you know CPG brands. It's everybody that's like, hey, I have to turn one dollar into four or five or six dollars. 
they do that with subscription. It's easily trackable, and it's also you can run really well on um, on these advertising platforms. So is that is that kind of going back to something that maybe a lot of people ignore right from the get go? If I'm an if I'm an e-commerce brand or a seller or anything like that, coming out from that perspective of when I start my business, can I make it a subscription based model or something where I can kind of package that in? Do you think that's where people should start or kind of evolve into or maybe let's get into our topic of that you know those seven things that people ignore and, and don't really think about until it's too late yeah i think um it's it's it's, it's somewhere in between i think that best. you need to have something special you can't just make anything a subscription right but sure. i actually kind of have a running challenge of like i have brands that will come to me and say like how do i create a recurring revenue model in my business and we try that and it tends to work like and it's something you'd be something from you know what do people need frequently and what frequent frequency um it doesn't mean that it's a monthly subscription it could be quarterly could be annually right um i think that subscription commerce uh in general is a fantastic way to build up a business but it does have to make sense and we have some i have some criteria for that that you know we could talk about too that we sort of bounce ideas off of and say oh yeah does it check all these boxes if so it's got a good shot at being a good recurring revenue model gotcha so it's more of a, does it make sense first? You want to answer that question, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, is there, so maybe we'll, maybe we'll touch on that here at the end. Uh, if, if that overlays, um, some of the things that I was looking at in this topic, which is super fascinating, obviously subscription-based services is really cool. Um, but with all these brands that you're working with is our, the seven areas of e-commerce again seven you were yeah. talking about we were joking like it could be 20 it could be 40 yeah. it could be a lot it, there's probably a lot more out there than seven um seven's a good number but i got i got the, seven good ones I got right no ones. i was gonna say yeah a lot of the especially in this a lot of people want to talk about hey i want to sell more widgets right uh, that, that's basically where you know a lot of the pitfalls that people fall into is just hey how do i sell more widgets so i can make more money which that that's the traditional line of questioning and logic that people fall into Yep. I think it's kind of dangerous if you just do that when they're not focusing on optimization of all these other things that really support and lift that kind of whole notion of how do I do that more? Well, you got to focus on the little stuff too. Yep. Um, what, what are those things that you're seeing as a agency and kind of over across time that yeah. people ignore? So I, I'll say, I'll start with the biggest thing that people that, that like, I would say half the clients we work with, um, this is a huge topic. There, there could be seven things in just this one topic. And of course I'm biased from my background, but <laughs> analytics, like understanding your numbers through and through, especially for subscription commerce is required. Um, subscription commerce, the big pros of it are the stuff I mentioned before. You have uh, forecastability with your numbers, with your revenue, you can uh, track costs. You can, you know what you're going to sell three months from now, potentially, right? Like it's beautiful. The problem is you only know that if you really analyze your data and you only analyze it if you take the time to create an awesome business model, you know, an awesome subscription model for your business uh, that that has real numbers, estimates, uh, you know, a cascading effect of your cohorts of sort of, you know, I have 100 customers this month. It's going to be 90 next month, going to be 85, 80, et cetera, et cetera, your attrition, all that. You have to create if you if you create. I won't say complex, but even just logical, we're, we're talking about addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, math here. This isn't incredibly complex, but it can get long. If you do that, you'll have a great grasp on your business. But if you don't, it could actually ruin your business. So I'll give you sort of a practical example. Say I'm selling a product and I'm spending $50,000 a month on advertising. Um, and I know I've done the math. I see that my media payback period is three months. All mm -hmm. right. That means as a company, I have about $150,000 in working capital in my advertising, okay? So maybe my advertising is going really well. The The thought is, hey, let's let's put the pedal down. I got some cash right now. I want to put the pedal down. I want to sell some more. Maybe I'm doing $100,000 a month now. Okay, great. Awesome. With a three-month media payback, your working capital jumps from $150,000 to now $300,000. So that cash has got to come from, the additional cash to keep up your marketing has to come from somewhere, right? But I don't know, maybe in, in you increasing your media budget, customer quality goes down. Maybe you overpromote it. Now that media payback period could be four months, right? Mm. Like maybe you give a bigger discount. You're like, oh yeah, let's, let's instead of doing 25% off, let's do a this rush right now. I want to get some customers. I have extra inventory. Let's do 40% off, right? 
Customer quality goes down. Media payback goes another month. Now, all of a sudden, you have $400,000 in working capital that is supporting your media spend, right? Oh, but wait, there's more, right? What about all the inventory you have to buy to support these new customers that you acquired? Okay, now I have to shell out more cash to buy more inventory, and maybe I'm shipping it in. Well, what happens if that shipment's late? Right? What happened? Like you're t- you're calling up your supplier of your product, saying like, "Hey, I actually have five thousand more orders than I anticipated." They're like, "We don't have five thousand more products." Sounds like a buy. you problem, not an us yeah, problem. Exactly. Um, oh, but wait, there's even more. So now you're talking inventory. Now you're trying to get your inventory for two, three, four months down the road. But what about team? You're getting more customer service tickets. So now your customer service costs go up. Maybe uh, you know your three PL or whomever you're using for for fulfillment. They're like, well, in order for us to receive more bigger shipments, it's going to cost more. So you can you can sit there and, and in the moment as an as an operator be like, I want to put the pedal down on my business because CACs are great. Maybe you're seeing that like a competitor got out of the space. Your customer acquisition cost is awesome. So you're like, let's go. But if you're not planning ahead, oh boy, that can bite you. And in the subscription space, people will blast you all over the internet if you fail to live up to the promises of a subscription product, which a subscription product is ultimately a relationship. You're developing a relationship with the company as a consumer and vice versa. And the moment you let them down, oh my gosh, your cohorts get worse, your LTV gets worse, and it could cascade into a whole world of a big mistake all because you saw an opportunity and you didn't plan ahead. So data... That was like somewhere data, between data like three or four topics. Like four things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, but here's like, a, I was go going to say, I was going to say for Evan, a lot of those things that kind of you mentioned too, you said the spend equates of what you're doing now equates to what if I put $100,000 more, like you said, if I'm just sitting on that, it should in theory equate to this growth trajectory that you are currently adhering to. Mm-hmm. Do you have that conversation with brands of saying, hey, it's not a one-to-one. Maybe if I put in more, it might be a 0.5 to one or yep. the, the spend kind of does skew if at the optimal level, people have this conversation all the time, especially, especially on Amazon. Hey, if I'm doing $50,000 spend and I equate to a hundred thousand orders, mm-hmm. I should in theory have that same ratio. If I put a hundred thousand dollars in spend, I should get, you know, 20,000 or whatever right. that, whatever that ratio equates to. That's not always true. You want to see growth and the more spend you want to see that, that actually that that uh, ratio kind of widen. You want to see more spend equates to more sales, not be the same exact thing because if you're pumping more money into it, but it's not showing actual growth, it's just keeping that same exact ratio. What what's the point? You know exactly. I mean? What's the point there? And then also from a cash position as an as a owner operator, unless you're just sitting on piles of money, you could put yourself in a situation very quick where you're looking for bridge capital through you know, a clear bank or a Brex or something like that, or having to do a fundraise at less than desirable because you're like, well, I overspent and in order to keep these customers happy, I now need to find half a million dollars in, in cash to go buy other inventory somewhere else or, you know, hire team and all. It, it could just be dangerous, right? So having your analytics full stop, that's it. And, and, and looking at opportunities, but recognizing what an opportunity is fleeting as in, you know, when it's going to go away versus one that you could get it later. So just like if CACs are good, don't just quadruple your budgets, even if they stay similar, like CACs tend to go up when you start doing that. But even if they stay similar, unless you're so certain that you're going to be able to keep your promise to this influx of new customers, bigger business, more customers, bigger problems, more problems just by quantity. Um, and it can end up setting you back long-term for what you think is a short-term opportunity. Absolutely. Um, so analytics broadly, call that one or two of you know those topics. The other things that uh, I would say people disregard when they're when they're uh, they ignore too long is um, CRM. Broadly speaking, meaning that they are not they're not focused on that relationship side, the database marketing that you could do. Uh, SMS is a very awesome tool these days for for marketers and and brands to have a in more authentic and deeper relationship. SMS commerce. Um, type products are <clears throat> only going to grow in popularity and going to continue to be a big part of it. So, uh, you know, I we talk to a lot of brands where they have a great top of funnel strategy. Advertising is awesome. They got they have a funnel that works really well. 
but then they're not doing anything with their database. They're not monetizing that or creating a relationship with that and not, uh, yes, you know, it sounds very anti-marketer, direct marketer. It is almost painful for me to say, but not every communication that you're having with your customers has to drive an additional revenue at that point. Thank you. Right. I love it. I agree. It, 100%. It's hard to say, but like the little extras go a long way. The little, the leave behinds that show your mission and values in, in, in the box, the emails that you just send as a newsletter to your customers that talk about, these are the things going on with our brand. And these are the things that we're behind. And, you know, we want to help this, or this is what we're doing. Like that gives people an additional tie an emotional tie to your brand. And that will, that could easily help them. Could you measure it? Yeah, you could test that. You can measure it and say, do people, does the LTV go up to the cohorts we're blasting emails to or not? I love testing everything. So if it could be tested, test it. But it's low, low cost, high reward, and just great things to do when you're a subscription business because you need to maintain that relationship. You need to keep them excited about your brand. So database yeah. marketing and CRM, highly disregarded. Not every communication needs to be a call to action of, hey, add on to your card or, hey, buy this other add-on widget. You think you would like this. doesn't have to be that. doesn't. So why is there a disconnect uh, when it comes to businesses like that? Is it, it it's free to distribute, right? You're, you're talking to your audience. Is there just a fear that every communication, is that skewed in the minds of like finance versus marketing where you have to say, hey, every communication has to have a dollar amount tied to it? You know, I think that there's a, yeah, I think there's that. And I think it's also like sort of a, I, you know, as someone who's seen subscription commerce evolve over time, there's been, and I've been a part of uh, subscription commerce that is less than ideal in the, it, you know, that, that people didn't know they were on subscription things like that. Subscription commerce is pretty common now. Like you, you line up top, you know, hundred e-commerce websites. I would say a majority of them have some form of recurring revenue element to them sure. somewhere. So there's this thought that like every time I communicate with my customers, they're going to cancel. There's like a fear mentality that every customer, when I reach out to them, I'm going to remind them about our product. They're going to cancel. Well, my, my, I, and I used to think that way, but my, my response now, after having seen this time and time again, if you're keeping a customer because they're forgetting about you, they're not a good customer anyway. And they're going to cost you down the road because they're going to be like, I've been paying for this thing for six months. I forgot about it. Uh, I'm mad. I'm going to charge back. I'm going to call your customer service and email and all those, all these things. They're going to cost you a bunch of money just handling them. So if they don't want to be there and they don't like it, you let them go. And it comes out better in the end for you anyway, from a cost perspective and from a reputation perspective. So I think there's this like deep fear that just like, oh, if we email them, they're going to cancel. It's like, no, that doesn't really happen. Like if they want to be there, they're going to be there and they're going to stick around and you got a great product. Um, they're not going to change their minds because you let them know that you're running a fundraiser this month for a cause. Is that where a lot of people kind of misstep to? I would, I would even call that maybe something you're ignoring. You're ignoring the reason why your best customers are there instead of you're more focused on the reason why your terrible customers yeah. are either wor worried about them leaving. So you're not listening. You're not actively listening to your customers. Like, it, it, and holistically, look, you're not for everybody. No company is really for everybody. There's a couple out there, obviously for sure. But you know, if you're an Uber or, or an eBay or something like that, but like consumer packaged goods, you're just not, you're not for everybody, but every, but a lot of, this is a good, this is a good one. Let's mark this as a num one of those numbers. A lot of entrepreneurs, will focus on the screamers and the and the detractors, but they won't actually focus on what they're doing for the people that like your product. And they will listen to the vocal minority on, on certain things against better judgment and actually make things worse for the majority of people that like what you're doing. Um, so you have to, you have to get over the fact that like someone's going to leave you a bad review. Someone's going to have a bad experience. Now, how you handle that with them, as a, as a CEO or something is like, you know, I'm going to call this customer. I'm going to make it right. I always, I always say the customer service is a, in, and ultimately you, the customer is right. Like old, old school retail saying, right. The customer is always right. Well, the same thing kind of goes digitally, except now the customer has got a much louder voice. So if, if they had a bad experience, you do whatever you can to make it right. And, what, and sometimes they just want to walk away. They don't want anything to do with you. You say, we're sorry, but you know, we understand you got to go. And that's fine. Then they're not blasting you on Trustpilot or the BBB or Facebook, anything, right? They're just like, they're gone. 
you're not, you don't change your business off of that one person, but you need to listen to the people that do love you, right? You need to, right. you need to questionnaire them. You need to survey them. You need to call them up your highest LTV customers and say, what, why are we, why are we doing things that are so great? What else could we do for you? And they are going to give you much better information than the one or two people that are like, my package didn't show up twice. And I called customer service and they never got back to me. Like that one person had a bad experience. It does happen. Mistakes happen. But don't let that up, you know, derail your whole business and how you're thinking about that because your 99 other customers are are happy. They're they're excited. They like what you're doing. Absolutely. What What is the... Like you said, the customer is always right. And I, and I, I grapple with this sometimes back and forth. Depends on the day you catch me. The customer is right <laughs> to a context, right? Um, how important is if you're not ignoring it, but you don't want to overly like say like bend over backwards to say like you guys are, you can just be walked all over. It's like, oh, like this isn't what I thought it was because the pictures said it was blue and it, you guys gave me aquamarine or something stupid like that. Like, right. again, is there a component of which your customers can look at you as like, hey, why did you let the person walk all over you? Like, well, clearly the review is stupid. People can look through that kind of stuff. I do it on Amazon all the time. I mm -hmm. say like, what's find the what's negative a real review? review versus like, what's, what's a real review? And like why someone in the Amazon community, especially, I think it's really kind of funny and it's detrimental too. It's like, um, for example, they products show up in their they're open, the package is open, and it's clearly not their fault, but they they blame the end user. It could have mm -hmm. been on the shipping company, it could have been on all these other things, but they're just they're just hell bent on making someone's life miserable. And that's just kind of like who they are as a person. And it's kind of like a hey, my voice is so loud. Watch how I get all these people to either like up click it or uh, like it or star it to their their website. Mm -hmm. Is there a component of which how do you actually make it right? Like, how are you showing as a company, but you have those like sticklers who are going to try to bring everyone down with them? Yeah. So I guess there's a, there's, there are unique cases there. I'm sure there are outliers. My prerogative on this is there's a cost benefit analysis you have to do with fighting with the customer, right? Like if a customer's coming in hot, you're not going to change their mind probably about the product. Now, your, your the example is a blue or aquamarine or something like that then you got to understand what the customer is looking to do. And there's some, there are some chaotic people out there that just want to like bug you because they have nothing better to do. Yeah, I get that. But most of the time they're just looking for something like I want a refund. I want a partial refund or I want to send a thing free. back. Yeah. I want it for free. Um, then you just have a cost benefit analysis on, on time. It takes to resolve that. If you have customer service agents and they're charging you, you know, $2 a case and this person emails 10 times. So there's 20 cases and your time and they're emailing you as a CEO and all this stuff. Like at some point you just say like, here's your money back, keep it and go away. And then like, it, it, then they can't like, the more you fight with them, the more ammunition you give them in the, in a visual medium where they're leaving reviews being like, I emailed on this day and they'll keep they're If they're in your business already, they're keeping the receipts so to speak. So they're going to sit there and have transcripts of every chat log and all this stuff. When most of the time people just want some of their money back. They want to just return it. They want to go outside of a policy. They, they emailed you on day 31 of your 30 day return policy. Like at some point you just eat it and just say, okay, just send me the stuff. We're going to give you the refund because the, the cost that can come from a, a bad review or like people that will just sit there and like, there are people that will go through, still get your ads to just leave crappy comments on your ads, like on Facebook and stuff. Like just if you, if you get them out of your life and just cut them off and give them what they want, the, the cost is almost certainly less than the, you dealing with them, than you dealing with them riling other people up or taking away from your business is my perspective. So, right. and I'm also talking about like, if you had like a, you selling like your blue Nile selling diamonds or something like that, probably a little different tactic than somebody selling like a hundred dollar box of stuff that costs you 50. Do you really want to put another $300 worth of time and effort into dealing with this customer plus having them potentially slow your business down? Or do you want to just say, here's a hundred dollars, just take it and we're done. And then most of the time that's fine. So to each their own, but that's my advice is to just to not fight because people are never in the court of public opinion. Rarely do people jump on the company side. Yeah. Do you, uh, for subscription based companies, is it common? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to actually think about this right now. 
there's not a lot of places that people leave reviews for subscriptions, is there? Like, I, I'm uh, trying to think. It I depends mean, yeah, on the company, like right? Google reviews. You get Google I guess reviews, Google you have reviews Trustpilot, like you have the BBC. I was going to say not on their website, but yeah, I'm thinking like, yeah, I guess globally, go Google or things like that. I, yeah, because so an interesting data point here, this is not a numbered on this. Uh, we're up to like three or four now, but like an interesting data point is historically when you're a, a bigger brand, I would say like there's like, Mom and pop shop, say you're spending, and I, I have rough numbers for this. Say you're spending, you know, less than $50,000 a month globally on advertising. You're pretty small in the grand scheme of direct to consumer. Um, and then you're sort of the, you know, sort of, I, there's a big gap here, but sort of when you get up to like a million dollar spender, million dollar spender, you got some, you got some brand awareness at that point, multi-million dollar spender, you're obviously huge. But one thing they all have in common but even more so when you're smaller and less less known is people do the research and people also do the research if you're specifically an ingestible product if you're a meal at home company if you're snacks if you're something that you know vitamins and supplements people will do their research and they will look at reviews they'll see if you're on Amazon look at Amazon reviews they'll look everywhere and credibility for those customers matter when you're a gigantic multi-million dollar a month spender Chances are, you know, they, they're they're coming because they saw your box on a friend's doorstep. Or they have, there's a fear of influence as a couple of people telling them about your product. When you're coming out to market, people are going to research you. And if they're unsure about the value that you can bring, like those nasty reviews of people saying like, I, I tried to get my money back and I couldn't or the product arrived damaged. I, I mean, that could easily turn off a handful of customers, like mm -hmm. no doubt. So it's important to recognize that as you're coming up, that your reputation in, in in the broad internet of things is important. I guess in a marketing standpoint, <clears throat> you can't be everywhere, right? Like yeah. you, people who try, they get they get overwhelmed. Um, people like to focus on those. Is there a place like ignoring it is almost too detrimental? Like a handful of things. If I'm an e-commerce business, my company, where am I not ignoring so that? I can make sure brand reputation is super important and I can actively monitor. Like I said, yeah. if, if I, I can't go on a sub, I can't go to Reddit and just like watch every subreddit, like, right. you know, category or anything like that. What, where are the, I guess maybe it could, um, but where are those ways, Evan, that you think that four or five places that I have to pay attention to, to brand, make, make sure that my brand is staying, you know, protected. I would say if you're, if you have an older, call it 40 plus audience, Places like the BBB, your reputation as a company with the BBB is important. Everything that if you were to Google your brand, brand name reviews, everything that's coming up on that first page, usually Google shopping or Google, I should say BBB, Trustpilot, keeping an eye on those is important. Now, you may not be able to rectify everything, but listen to that stuff like by vocal minority. Sure. But that may surface problems on like, it's my customer service, you know, messing this up. Like I will come to say that while a lot of customers can be loud and, and really troublesome for you, most of them aren't making it up from their point of view. Now, maybe, maybe they're playing up their, their problems a little bit, but they're, they, they had a bad customer service experience. If you could bring up those logs, chances are they had a bad customer service experience. Um, so everything on the first page is what I'd focus on. Those three are important and you can't necessarily refute everyone, but just kind of get an idea, like just know that is what customers are going to see. So you need to take, uh, you know, uh, take credence into that and think about what you would do to either fix those issues or otherwise make the customer's life a little bit better. Gotcha. Yeah, I 100% agree. Obviously, subscription-based service that I recently you know, maybe this will allow for a case study too. Uh, Sunday.com or Sunday, mm -hmm. which is the, you know, the lawn, lawn care company. Product, yeah. yeah. Super intrigued by it. Thanks Instagram and Facebook for constantly. They got you. It's springtime. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's something where I've been, I, I saw the value prop, uh, you know, not harsh chemicals, things like that. It, it ships to you based upon, you know, seasonality and, you don't have to think about, oh, I need to go to Lowe's or Home Depot and go buy it. How much do I need to buy? Blah, 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 blah. Kind of do it for you. And I think it's really cool to like just understand. Again, we're talking about nerdy. Understand things like what's in your lawn and better mm -hmm. for your, your animals and kids and so on and so forth. Anyways, great marketing. Um, didn't know it was a subscription-based service, believe it or not, until I logged in and go, oh, interesting. Um, it's a yearly subscription, all these different things. Um, my Where I'm going with this is when you're you're trying to drive where you're getting your 
your conversion from like uh, social media or paid mm -hmm. ads or whatever on Google. And I've always asked this to every agency I do. Anytime that a prominent field of promo code pops up, and I'm curious of this too. And me as a person who working in affiliate marketing, partnership marketing, I know if promo code exists, I know that they're working with publishers and there's going to be an easy promo code to at least try or find. Go out there, plug it in. And I, on the back end, that company is now getting access to, hey, they put in a promo code for $15 off or whatever it is, but they're attributing some sort of success to something that's as arbitrary as promo code. Mm -hmm. Is that something that matters to you that you should ignore? You shouldn't ignore what? What about the checkout process? I'm going to go a little bit broader about processes in checkout to help you kind of figure out first click, last click, or even just where that conversion is traditionally happening. I'm going to give credit. If I were to give credit to myself, I would give credit to Instagram and Facebook for the relentless amount of ads that I got attributed yep. to me and then it converted one day because it was, hey, you should, you should do it today so you can get your product in time. Yep. So what you're talking about now is attribution in that fun world. So attribution, here's my take on this after all. And, and mind you, at this point, I've, I've done TV advertising. I've done. This is why you know, I asked you. I think you've done it all. I have done it all. And the reality is there is your. So I've run and every business is different. So I wish there was a carte blanche answer sure. here. But I'll go back to my time when I was uh, sort of inside of textile, the textile fashion group, just fab and stuff. We were spending uh, just on Just Fab at the time. We were, we were spending several tens of millions of dollars a year on Just on Fab is a big ad spend. Yeah. Um, and at the time, we were doing a lot of uh, you know TV buys direct, and we were doing basically every kind of marketing channel at the time. This was would have been you know 2010, 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. So you have to do a few things. You can look. You can analyze the info. It takes time. It costs money. But it's, if it's important for you to know, you can test pretty easily the influence of a channel and how it raises the collective tide. Meaning, you know, if you're running TV, you get post logs. You you know, you get it. Hey, your ad appeared at this time. You can look at your spike in traffic. You can look at your spike in sales on all other places like Facebook and Insta and everything. And you can actually get a measurable effect of like, when we run this much TV on this channel, we see everything on Facebook get better by 10% for, you know, a day or for 24 hours or whatever, right? Like you can actually measure all these things. So you have to look at your business on a blended customer acquisition cost and blended ROAS and however you're measuring your business. And as your spend grows, I think it's critical for you to understand the influence every channel has on that spend. And it is different based on some amount of uh you know penetration in a channel as in like how much are you where your media budget is if you're 80 percent facebook ig 10 percent search and 10 percent everything else um the tide is likely to rise more on the smaller percentages than your 80 percent facebook sure. but if you're doing 60 percent facebook ig 20 percent google 10 percent uh non-tv and out of home and 10 percent tv out of home or something like that you might see a different ratio of that and it's not right or wrong, but you can like, you could tune these levers once you understand and say, okay, yeah, TV on direct attribution that like my TV agency says, because they're looking at like minute by minute logs, your ad ran here, order increased from, you know, you're getting three orders a minute. Now you're getting seven orders a minute for the next 20 minutes. They, they, they take a lot of credit for that, but you can also see what it's doing to your other channels. When you're a big advertiser, that is what you know. So we were able to look at, hey, here's what our direct, yeah, anyway, like iOS 14.5. We'd have to do a whole nother podcast about <laughs> all that. But yeah, like in every agency out there, man. <laughs> it's great. Um, but like iOS, but like by looking at direct channel attribution and looking at blended, like our advice, not as an agency because it helps us, but our advice as, as operators is always if your blended is is good, don't cut your nose off to spite your face on these other channels because you're looking at your Facebook CAC and it's like, Oh, this is like two, like I, my allowable is 50, but Facebook's coming in at a hundred. It's like it, there's definitely cross attribution there. And you will, you will come to find that your blended won't change much, but like your volume will go way down. You'll be like, why aren't these channels working? And why is organic down or why is direct down? Like 
at a certain stage, you can't look at just direct channel attribution. You have to be looking at your blended. And really at all stages, you should be looking at your blended. But when you're advertising in more and more less attributable channels other than promo codes, like promo codes are great, but they're they're not closed loop. People will see a better deal out there. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I want here's 30% off. Then they'll go to like a coupon site and they'll see a 40% off. They're not going to use your 30% off. And there's or a Chrome off. extension or... Yeah, or Chrome uh, extension, something like that, right? So... You have as an operator on the on the company side, you have to be looking at your blended. You have to be, you have to before you cut off channels, understand their influence. And their influence could come from, hey, we're gonna go dark. I, I've done this exercise with a lot of big brands. Okay, we're gonna go dark on Facebook for a week and see what it does to our other channels. See if order volume goes down, if CACs go up. Because it's always like this battle between Google and Facebook, right? Especially at a certain size, just between those two. It's like well, people are seeing my ad on Facebook and then they're going to Google and then they're typing it in and they're they're buying from that ad. Organic search, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so like, what's the effect of that? So now I say, okay, hey, if you want to do that, let's take one week or two weeks off of this channel. We'll just go dark or go down to such minimal spend. Like you don't want to kill, you know, ads yeah, exactly. learning, but go down, down to minimal. such minimal spend where it's, it's irrelevant, like cut off 90% of it. And see what these other channels do. And then I can show people that like, okay, yeah, you see your organic that you were getting 10% of orders and this much volume every week, it dropped. Now, the only thing we did different this week is kill Facebook. So there, now you can see how much that's helping in other places. And then guess what? Google paid went down. And guess what? Maybe TikTok had also went down and all these other things. Like you see that the tide lowers in these other places and you can measure that. So like, this kind of comes back to the data part of it, but like when you look at that all together, you just got, if your blended's working well, don't get over aggressive on an in-channel performance unless you know that that channel's really just wasting your money and you can measure that. Take the time to measure it. It's worth it. I get that. that that's a great answer. I, I, I like that a lot. I, I think again, across the channel, omni-channel approach is super important. I know you, you, need you work to. in that. Yeah, you, you have to. In that capacity, I guess kind of maybe spinning this final topic on our head. I think we've hit close to six or seven. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it. We're, we're close <laughs> we to it. We're close, our, later. We're we're close to our right promise there. on seven today. So so Evan, in the final kind of couple of minutes I have with you, I think the question I'm gonna I want to like really kind of dive into. I guess in the final moments is instead of ignoring it, what are the things you're excited about to focus on here in the future? Um, here in 2020. Too, because we just passed Q1. Yeah, a lot of people I think were excited about. Hey, we're continuing to see growth in e-commerce. Uh, Amazon again. We're kind of back to like historical markers of we saw the spike in 2020, 2021 was a little bit more lower than expected, but hey, uh, historical levels we're about even. Um, and where growth should happen. What are you really excited about to focus on instead of just ignoring stuff today? Let's go positive today. Let's go positive. In a positive note, um, as a marketer, here's what I'm excited about. Um, there's, in my opinion, some facts in here too, but there's a change afoot. And I've seen this enough time to, to know, like, you know, Facebook changes algorithms in the past. Uh, can't spam in the, in the early 2000s is going to kill email. It didn't. It evolved, right? Um, so I'm excited to see, uh, while, while direct marketing, direct consumer marketing took a big step back with iOS 14.5 changes, as far as our ability as marketers to really refine and target people with the correct ads. I'm excited to see what comes from this because advertisers and brands are still going to exist and they're going to grow and they're going to work through this. So part of this is speculating. It, what I'm excited about is what's next? What is next in, in direct to consumer advertising? And I think that there's going to be a resurgence in things like um, OTT, uh, more dollars going in there, more people playing with, with video. I think that creative, just broadly speaking, creative is going to really improve in its quality. Like the UGC movement of the past five, six, seven years, really, you know, where it sort of started with influencers basically as affiliates. And now influencers are largely just making awesome content for the, for the channel that they are popular in. And less about their performance. Like you don't, you don't really see people buying and, and using influencers for, to like, hey, you push this to your audience and make an ad and stuff. We're going to pay you a, a, a CPA on that. Still happens, but that's not the model anymore. The model is, oh yeah, you make great content for TikTok, do great content for our product, and we're going to use that as an ad and advertise on TikTok, and you get a shout out there too, and everybody wins. 
So like where creative is going to go, I'm really excited to see. Um, because creative is so important now. It's you can't just do a starburst that says hey, 50% off on a still image. That doesn't that's not gonna get you anywhere. You have to have really awesome creative to succeed on these platforms. Um, I'm also very interested in, in sort of been doing a bit of research in the world of sort of uh, zero party data, looking at what you can do to more customize the user experience when they're on site. Um, leveraging the, the the curation, which is important for subscription, which we could call number seven in, in subscription is... We did it. We got there. We did it. We did it. It's curation. People want something in a, in a subscription environment while it's a relationship. It's also got to be unique to them. So there's a lot of interesting tools out there that I'm researching and, and have seen deployed that do a lot more, hey, you're a member on the site. We know what you buy. We know what you like, what you don't like. Look at look at the meal at home space. Perfect example for this. They're continuously refining food that they're sending you. There's a lot of data there about like what you like, what you don't like, what you kind of like, what your eating habits are, et cetera. There, a lot of these companies are going to be deploying uh, technology to curate that experience even more to, to help them drive their menu options, help them drive your dietary preferences. So I think that that's something I'm really excited about to make that something that it's been around for a while. Curation's nothing new, but it's been unattainable for many because of the the data required behind it. But now your own data is so important because you can't rely like it wasn't. I want to say maybe times a weird construct right now. We just started with that, but I want to say like you know Cambridge Analytica before that all went down. You know, it was you could like buy lists to target people. Like that's how that's how weird it was. Like you'd be like, "Here's a hundred thousand emails that you just pump into Facebook as a as a custom audience, and we know that these people all bought women's fashion products." So exactly. here you go, great, awesome. Can't do that anymore. Um, what we can do is have your first party or your zero party data, the the, pe the people that are on your site, make that experience better. And then use that in other ways to curate their experience to make it more personalized. Um, last thing I'll say that's really got me excited about all of this is um, while you know I've made, like many agencies, made a living off of Facebook and Instagram, um, I'm excited to see what happens on these new channels. You know, we spend a lot of money now on TikTok, Snap, and Pinterest uh, as, as a diversification tactic. But these new and up-and-coming advertising companies I think they'll really spend a lot of time creating new ways to advertise. I don't want to go way deep. We don't have time to go way deep into like multiverse advertising stuff or metaverse, not multiverse. Sorry. Uh, Let's metaverse advertising. Two different. Yeah. Thank you. Thank different. you, Marvel. But also thank you, Facebook. Really, Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Multiverse. I want to get customers in a different universe. That's where I'm going. No, um, but metaverse <laughs> advertising um, is a whole interesting thing that i'm observing right now and just sort of like where a lot of social watching this? and listening yep yeah and, and like i don't know where that's going to go could be very interesting though just the the immersion of i want to i'm going to get i'm going to say something really bold a little bit here that i haven't really said before before it the the dirty secret of the internet that consumers don't want to know is the internet survives off of advertising yep it does and like I, you know, I, I I get a little pain in my my side every time I hear people that are like, I just ad block my way through life. I'm like, <laughs> we just need to serve you ads. Like, I understand you don't want to buy it, but like, the reason why Facebook and Instagram and stuff are free is because advertising exists. The reason why you yeah. can navigate the web freely, I, I you know, my hot take is because advertising exists. So that's not going to change. But the immersion of advertising and you know, the invasiveness, like there was a, there was a period there where people didn't mind advertising as much because at least it was relevant. Re relevancy has gone down, but advertising is, and the dollars surrounding it for better or worse are the backbone of the internet. So with that, we'll breed something new. I think that it would be exciting to be on the forefront of. And um, I encourage every, I, I tell my team this all the time. I'm like, look at what is influencing you because it's going to start making subtle changes. Where are you getting ads now? Where are where are brands reaching you? Because your Facebook and IG feed, you're still going to get that. But now where else? Where else are they mm -hmm. getting you? Because I think it's going to start coming up more and more in places you didn't recognize. And I just want to be there when it does so we can start monetizing that. For <laughs> so client. I can make money off of it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, well, there's, there's, it, a little, there's an angle. Well, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, Evan, you make a good point too. I mean, I'm one of those people. I just got an iPhone. And I think it's unique to see like, 
hey, I can block it from certain. I like blocking from certain things just because I know coming from those those apps or things like that, like they're not utilizing the data for like it making sense uh, for my right. advertising. Other ones, I'll like accept it. It kind of like I know it's an a la carte kind of service, which is really weird as marketer is saying, I want them to track my data, but I don't want them to track my data. Yeah. Again, it's kind of a picking and choosing. I think it it just it we talked about this jokingly on pre-show of like but looking behind the curtain and like seeing how the sausage is made. I think a lot of people now know how that is. It used to be that way, obviously, with um, you know, what um the TV uh now I'm blanking on their company. They call me all the time for Evo? Yeah, uh, not no. Well, yeah, the Roku? so, uh, well, Roku and like other streaming services, but uh, Nielsen data. So like, oh, that yeah. data is like, people are willingly give them away their information for free, and you kind of like compile it and then disseminate to advertisers around the world of, hey, this is the subset category. This is where they're located. Have at it. Like, where do you want to? Where do you want to buy your money or buy your ads? Um, but now it's kind of more like it can get very hyper focused and. Um, what I think a lot of people are really talking about, especially in the Amazon space, is that Prime will start to have advertisements for brands before the streaming platform, Yep. Um, especially in all their ecosystems, because IMDb is owned by them, um, right. which is which is free, um, which is free and served by ads, um, like you said before. So it, it'll be intrig- intriguing to see like how consumption evolves, how it is maybe going away. They're going away from cable, but now streaming is becoming cable. So it again, yeah, it all, it all I mean, kind of just evolves. Streaming may, I'll, I'll be the, one of the first people, well, probably not, but I'll be someone to say that like streaming may save like commercial ads. Like, you know, being able to stream, the fact you can't skip those as easily as you can when you have a live TV recording. Thanks, YouTube TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty I love much. it. I'm about it. All yeah, right. it, it's one of those things that are, it's not, it doesn't feel invasive because again, you know, it's an ad. The, the the benefits are outweighing like hey this is something that I can't don't have to watch live now which again we jokingly with our kid of can you pause it so I can use the restroom like no we had to time it out in our head know how long thirty <laughs> yeah. second commercials were go to the bathroom get back before in time to start yeah you're you're standing up when you're like there's gonna be a commercial break right here like I'm I'm primed and sort of in stance ready to go I can always read it now like it, it's kind of a superpower that a lot of us in our generation have like developed of like how do we really? how do we know oh, when to pull break yeah you you hear it in the cadences of like oh they're gonna pause it go to commercial start to walk that out and you don't miss a single thing so, so maybe maybe the solution is that how do we break that condition just throw an ad in there when you least expect it or yeah or just like yeah just temper the expectation and and don't break for a commercial and yeah a lot that, of those things too. It, it, it's a lot of a how evolution, but hey, I would talk uh, hours along uh, about this with you. Uh, you've you've seen a lot of it, uh, Evan. What what was kind of the exciting thing for Stealth Venture Labs and uh, you as a company that's coming forward? And how do people connect with you? If yeah, you so um, you reach me at Evan at Stealth Venture Labs. It's my email. It goes right to me. Um, obviously on LinkedIn, you can find me there too. Um, Stealth. Uh, Venture Labs, like the exciting things we're doing, um, we're focused on a few things. One, obviously continue, continuously looking to add to our client base. So if you're a, a company looking for uh, paid media support, uh, creative support, uh, creative production, you know, reach out, love to learn more. Um, also just love talking about this industry. So I, I have a lot of thoughts about it and opinions and um, just anyone ever wants to just connect and say hi, reach out. Um, stealth is actually doing a lot of interesting things. One of the, the most exciting thing that we're sort of working on right now that, um, we're really passionate about is we actually opened up a 501 C three. Um, and we, we've built, uh, it's information's on our website, but we've built an Academy for young entrepreneurs, a lot of inner city kids and, uh, kids without, uh, the, the right opportunity to, to bring their business to life. We teach them how to build and manage an e-commerce store, how to create and do advertising on Facebook and Insta and, and Google, et cetera. And then once they go through this academy, we actually fund them with like their first $5,000 of advertising dollars and help them get off the ground with that. So um, that's one thing that we're really passionate about. We're obviously looking for more thought leaders, partners, uh, donators, anything that you could do to support that because it's um, we're we just firmly believe in as a passion close to my heart and is, you know, these young entrepreneurs, um, 
you know, give them a chance to bring their business to life because they're, they are going to be the future entrepreneurs. And, um, that's something we're very excited about. So anybody that wants to help with that, we're always looking for mentors, even just people that can take calls and share their experience on building a business and the pitfalls to, uh, help these kids out is great. I love that. That's so cool. That that's something I didn't know and I didn't see under it's the impact lab. So go to the, oh, okay. website, impact, the impact lab. That's uh that's our 501c3. So yeah, so everyone listening to this, go check out stealthventurelabs.com and look for the the impact lab and and check it out. And if you can contribute in any certain way, definitely check it out. So Evan, thank you so much again for hopping on crossover commerce. Uh, again, I know we were running a little bit behind. So I'm sorry. I, I'm no, focused. no, my fault too. Again, it, it's on by I press play and that's not a problem, but hey, you're a busy guy. So thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. We appreciate it. Now, it, now they made through an hour with me. Again, friend of the show. So happy to have you on any single time you're willing to kind of share your insights. Thank you so much, Ryan. Awesome. Appreciate Thanks, it. Evan. And thank you, everyone, again, for hopping on Crossover Commerce. Again, episode 232. Thanks for hopping on and uh, spending some time in my corner of the internet. Again, make sure you check out Evan Pageant and his uh, team over at Stealth Venture Labs uh, website below if you're in the audio form or in your the uh, listening to audio form it's going to be in the uh, show notes below uh, as well so go ahead and check that out and follow him on all the social media channels again linkedin is the best way to do that as well also can be found below uh that's it for today uh episode 232 we'll catch you guys next time on another episode of crossover commerce take care